Today the scripture reading is from the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 14. And it's found on page 1690 in your pew Bibles. Jesus taken up into heaven. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Matthias was chosen to replace Judas. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas son of James. They all joined constantly in prayer, along with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. The very words of God. So our focus this morning is on that act of prayer. And our text is verse 14. They all join together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Congregation of Jesus Christ, we want to uh, begin our renewal journey with a focus on prayer. We have uh, our banner here to help us to be focused, too, on what God's will would be to, to renew us as a church and as believers. This is a, a, an olive tree, and 
later on I'll, I'll explain more about why an olive tree is, is a beautiful symbol of renewal, God's renewing presence and power, especially in his church. So we have the olive tree, the renewing work of God, as we are on a journey together towards the mission of God, more and more who we are as a church and God's mission for us as we want to serve him. So we are starting today, moving into a, uh, a time, uh, even over several years, of, of reflecting on what that renewal would mean for us and how we could continue to just grow and, and go forward in God's mission. We had a really nice uh, time yesterday with the renewal team, 10 Myself, we gathered with other teams from other churches in Leduc, and we're just just informed and challenged about how the Spirit continues to work renewal in the church, and how the Spirit and by God's grace would work too in our church, continuing to renew and refresh and guide us in being the church our living Lord Jesus would want us to be. But the very first thing is. Any sense of renewal is prayer. That, that we call upon God by the Spirit to, to work in us, to open us and to breathe afresh His renewing will and presence and power. And so today, we are going to begin by focusing, even as the book of Acts does, where the church initially begins and where it's established, and we see right away here, what were the apostles doing? They were praying. And then God acted in beautiful ways. So I just want to, to explain to you uh, this uh, initial um, working of God in Acts chapter 1. You need to realize, first of all, what, what the situation is here in Acts chapter 1. Jesus the leader of, of the gospel message, Jesus' ministry, everything he has built up over his three years, all of that is gone. Jesus was doing a great thing and, and people were coming and people were listening and people were responding. But at this point, Jesus has been arrested, he has been beaten, he's been crucified, he has died. And the overall picture of the movement is it's scattered. And now, now there is, Acts 1 picks up the account, saying in verse 3, after his suffering, including his death, he presented himself to them and gave convincing proofs that he was alive. So, so the very first thing that Jesus is doing to really the very central core of believers who are left is to convince them that he is alive. And so it says it, it, over, over 40 days, 40 days, so, so the first day they didn't believe it. And the next number of days, I mean, it's hard to believe who someone who has died, you've seen him die, you've buried him, and now he's alive. And so it says 40 days. So it's not just he went, told him, and hey, everything's great. No. 
There was, oh, Thomas doubted, and, and it, was, it was not easy at all. And so realize that, that, that the, the, the new thing that God is doing, the, the resurrection of Jesus, it's even for the believers in the, the little group that's left. And so he, he appears to them different times. And so just if you read in the Gospels too, he appeared to the women, of course, at the tomb, uh, the men on the road to Emmaus, uh, Peter in Jerusalem later on, uh, the 10 disciples up in Galilee when they say we're going to go fishing and Jesus meets them there. And 1 Corinthians mentions that he actually meets Jesus appears to even a group of 500 believers at one time. But it's, it's, it's a real work of even just convincing them that, that he is alive. So, so that's, that's an initial, yeah, how to go forward, how to take hold of what has happened. It says, too, he ate and drank with them. They could touch him. And so here, we ate and drank and we touched Jesus. It has to be real to us. Did he really live, die, and rise again? Yes, for us too. It takes us a long time to be convinced. And we need to be reminded again and again as we actually, just like those disciples at the very beginning, in the very first small group that became the church, that they could eat and drink with him and touch him. And so the sacrament beautifully affirms that central hope that we have too. Jesus is our living Lord and Savior. What now? We can, we can say this, believe it, receive this. What now? That picture in Acts chapter 1 gets described by Jesus in verses 4 and 5 and 7 and 8. He points the believers to the coming Holy Spirit. And he's done that already. He's explained in John 16 that he's going to send the Spirit. And that includes the fact that he is going to go away, but the Spirit is going to come. And so that becomes the focus. And so that coming of the Spirit, how do we prepare for that? How do we engage that coming of the Spirit? And we see here in Acts 1 that in response to that, the disciples take a very particular stance, a very particular posture. They are in prayer. They come together in prayer. That's where it starts. They are praying. In response and obedience to God's work to Jesus' command, they are confident, they are convinced that Jesus is alive. The, the 40 days, uh, they, that, that has been, uh, they are assured even as we are assured here. And then they make their way back to Jerusalem, though that's the place where, where there is threats on their lives and where Jesus actually was arrested and crucified. And so, so they go there convinced that God is going to do a great work in Jerusalem because Jesus says very specifically in verse 4, do not leave Jerusalem. Well, I, I'd like to leave Jerusalem because it looks like there's nothing going on there anymore. 
But there's a sense of, of sticking with what God is doing, right? In the place where he is doing it. And sometimes as churches too, people, people think too, well, well, there's nothing here, I'm going to go there. Say, no, God is doing things right here. And that sense of the disciples called to stay in Jerusalem and God by his spirit will come and lead and guide them. They had many fears and worries, even as, as we as a church often too, if we start to, to talk back and forth, we wonder often too about, about the fellowship and yeah, the, the numbers are maybe a little bit down and, and now what and what do we do and how do we go forward and all of that can happen in any group. And so there is definitely too in their situation you have to realize this church in Acts, this group, it, it, it just has 11. They're named. They're named right there in Acts chapter 1. There's just 11 of them. And, and so, yeah, that, that, that you could just name the ones who are, are there. And, and how is that going to become anything? And then in, in our reading too, it does say that they have Mary, the mother of Jesus, with them and, and his brothers. Well, Mary has is, is, is just lost her son, right? Her actual son and her savior. So I'm not sure how helpful she's going to be right away. And, and then we read later on too that some of those brothers of Jesus didn't really believe in him. So they weren't even Christian. And they're part of the church. Said, what's going to happen with them? And so, so you have to recognize that, that this, this word of Jesus in regard to the, the beginning of the establishment of the church, they, those, those disciples must have wondered. They must have wondered even about themselves. And sometimes we wonder about ourselves. Will God use me? Can he use me? I mean, these were, these were fishermen from Galilee. And they had to do something in Jerusalem. And how is that really going to work? I mean, they are not really city people. They are uneducated country folk. It, it doesn't look good. And they are called by Jesus to stay in Jerusalem and, and to somehow be a ministering presence to people who just recently yelled, crucify him. And then they're supposed to come and say, oh, you should believe in him. <laughs> that's, that's not going to work. They've just said, we hate him. He's a liar. He's a criminal. There's nothing true about anything he ever said. And then you are asked to step into that situation and convince people that they now need to believe everything he said. That's, that's not going to be easy. That's not going to work very well. And then, and then just, just, yeah, the, the human nature too. What do we do now exactly? How do we proceed? Because all that Jesus says is go and wait. And you need to realize too that, that they waited it was 10 full days. The days between the Ascension and Pentecost is 10 days. So that's, yeah. So, so within the, the sense of what do we do now, how do we, they waited and, and Jesus is gone. 
He's ascended. The angels reassured them, of course, in terms of who Jesus is. But what do, what do they do now? So, so that, that is really the picture of Acts chapter 1. It is a very hopeless picture, really. It, it is very concerning. And for us even to recognize that, that out of something where, where we would say too, we're, we're not sure and we don't know that, that God is ready to do an amazing thing. And that's really the picture for the church through the ages, especially in the down times when things are not looking so good. That, that you, you recognize too, it's not what we see and understand. It's what God is doing. And the way to take hold of what God is doing is in prayer. So it says, verse 14, they all join together constantly in prayer for 10 days in prayer. That becomes a mark of the church in Acts 2, 42, which is the key text in the, in the and, and in working out the understanding of renewal, it said they devoted themselves to prayer. That continued to be. That's, that is how the church continues to work. To continue to call on God, to continue to prayerfully, just personally, God, help me to see and be a part of what you are doing and work in your church to build your kingdom. That's always to be our prayer. In Acts 6, verse 4 it talks about the disciples who are, who are in the church and, and the church is actually growing and, and they are, are just uh, overwhelmed a little bit, in fact, by all that God is doing. And then it says in Acts 6 verse 4 that they actually established deacons because they as disciples have to concentrate on prayer, continuing to pray for God's presence and leading and work. And so that emphasis, even 1 Thessalonians 5, our call to worship today, that we pray continually, calling on the Spirit, at the ongoing work of, of renewal in the church. If you wanted to characterize the difference between the Old and New Testament, in the Old Testament, there is a constant calling out, a constant prayer, you might say, for the Savior to come. All through the Old Testament, right from Genesis 3, verse 15, where God says, I will send a Savior to crush the serpent's head. And then all through the Old Testament, that the Savior would come. They're waiting for a Savior, a prophet or a king or someone to save them. If you had to characterize the New Testament, after the Savior has come, the prayer is always for the Spirit for the Spirit to come, for the Spirit to direct, for the Spirit to encourage and guide and build the church. And that is clearly evident here in Acts chapter 1. And then when the Spirit comes, then things start to happen. So that is our prayer as well, that the Spirit would come in a new and a fresh in an encouraging way, and that as the Spirit, uh, that we would be open to the Spirit's leading. That's also part of the prayer, too. It says in 1 Thessalonians 5, do not quench the Spirit's work. So as we seek to go forward prayerfully in the Spirit again, that we, too, are open to that work of God 
as the Spirit leads and guides. So that's, that's the focus this morning, to see that clearly and to enter in to that understanding in a, in a real and, and encouraging and uh, focused way. There is nothing, you wonder too, what, what do we do? How are we going to proceed then? We're going to pray. There is nothing that teaches us to pray more than praying. If you want to learn how to pray and pray better than pray, by praying you understand and learn more. Nothing builds the unity of the church more than praying together. If we as a church learn more and more to pray together, even, even as we gather in our meetings, and sometimes that can become just a little routine and a quick prayer. But if we, if we pray for each other, just take a little more time and pray for each other. When we meet in different times, different ministries of the church, that we also have times of silence in prayer or hearing God speak to us, or hearing others who speak to, of understanding the Spirit's leading in prayer. And then also as a church, to, to pray that God would continue to make us an effective witness for him right here in Lacombe. Kingdom prayers, prayers of faith, Prayers of, of calling on the Spirit to guide and lead us into more and more doing what our living Lord would want us to do. Being a body that's welcoming and encouraging and reaching out to those around us who so much need to know the Lord as their Lord and Savior. Amen. We are going to sing a song. Be the